This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. The Pattern Passers, a study in the uncomfortable topic of modern-day apostles. Boy, uh, what did I get myself into here? Now, there's a reason why I'm covering this, and that'll become more and more clear as we progress, because some of you could say, for, a, for the end of a semester, this seems like a very strange way to send anyone out. And yet, the world that you're being sent out into has some potential potholes out there, and there's some potential landmines uh, that are awaiting, and I would like us to have a clear understanding of how God intends to build his church and what he prescripted uh, in that regard, and uh, I think it'll help all of us. It'll strengthen us, and of course, any message that uh, just refers to the word of God has to be exciting. I call it the triumvirate of the word of God. Triumvirate is just a big word, but uh, it's three parts is what it means. And the the word of God is the basis of our faith. In other words, what we as Christians believe in is the word of God. However, when I say that, oftentimes you think of the text of scripture and you carry around a Bible and you call it the word of God. And that would be accurate. That's one form or one part of the word of God. So the word of God is in text and that's called scripture or the Bible. The word of God in person is called Jesus Christ. He actually fulfilled everything written in that book And he came onto this earth and lived it. He's the word of God made flesh. And there's also the word of God in action. The word of God in text foretold one who would come and live this exact way. And it said exactly what he would do. And that action of the word of God in person foretold by the word of God in text is literally the place in which we find our salvation. So what do you believe in? I believe what the Word of God in text says about the Word of God in person, that what he did on that cross, the Word of God in action, is sufficient to save me. Our faith is in that. It's the triumvirate of the Word of God. Okay, so as we build this out, I'm going to sort of begin to layer in some ideas for us. The Word of God in text, the Word of God in person, the Word of God in action. Now, how one treats the Word of God in text defines how they treat the Word of God in person and in action. So if you undermine the word of God in text, well, that's what reveals the word of God in person. So what happens? If you diminish the word of God in text, you unwittingly diminish the word of God in person, or, speaking of the serpent, purposely diminish the word of God in person. You see, the devil is up to no good, and he always wants to diminish the text. Did God really say that? That's his famous quote all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and he still says that today. Are you sure that's God's word? What makes that any different than any other writing? Weren't these just good men? They were good men that were carried along by the Holy Spirit to write the word of God. And so as a result, when we diminish the word of God in text, we diminish the word of God in person. Now, what happens if we diminish the word of God in person? Well, we diminish the word of God in action. 
and what he did on that cross. No longer is it a God work on our behalf. And if you remove the Godness from the cross, you don't have salvation. That's why it's important. So as a result, we as the body of Christ labor to preserve the word of God in text, the word of God in person, and the word of God in action as the centerpiece of that which we rally around. It's our North Star. We all fix our compasses to this, and that's how we walk. You see, if you support the word of God in text, you know what you do? You help people see the word of God in person. And if you lift high the word of God in person, what do you do? You lift high his work on the cross. Welcome to Christianity. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So part of what I'm going to be talking about today is veering away from the word of God in text. And as a result, beginning to bring some muddled mess to this thing called Christianity. And as a result, it's something that I feel is important enough that we bring clarity to. Three positions. At the very beginning of an Ellerslie semester, I you know, imagine a Bible in my hand here. And basically, there's three positions you could have towards the Bible or the Word of God in text. One is you could come in above it and look down on it with a compassionate gaze. Oh, the poor text of Scripture. It's so misunderstood, so, you know, has, has so many mistranslations in it over the years. And it's just not what it used to be. But, you know, it says some good ethical, moral things, and we should give it a break. In other words, we're, we're smarter than the Word of God in text. And so we put our glasses on the ends of our nose and look down with a certain spiritual snobbery in thinking that our ideas are actually higher than its ideas. There's another option, which is where many of us come in, and that is we sidle up next to it, okay? And the Word of God in text, or the Bible, is our, is our buddy. It's our chum. And so we put our arm around the shoulder, and we hang out with it, throw the Frisbee with it. However, you'll notice that if your buddy ever commanded you to go clean your room, you would bristle a little. It's like, excuse me, who are you? No, you go clean your room. Who are you to tell me what to do? You're my buddy. You see, buddies can't command you to do anything. You can love your buddy. You could, you know, defend your buddy even. However, your buddy can't command you to do anything. You see, your buddy is equal with you. And a lot of us have carried this into our understanding of the Word of God and how it applies to our life. However, I want to give you a better position than that. And that is, it is above us. The Word of God is, in fact, the Word of God. And it rules us. It has a higher mind than our mind. The number one thing you can do in your Christian walk is submit your mind to the word of God and say, whatever you say is right. Whatever I'm thinking that would be contrary to that is wrong. The three positions. I just want to encourage you to pick the right one. We're going to talk about an apostle. Ah, it's just uncomfortable, I know. Any of you that have the same background I have, which is brushed clothes. I mean, I've traveled all over the world and I've been in all sorts of environments. I mean, I could tell you tales. And what I can also say is that this word brings up all sorts of awkwardness inside of me. It's just like... And so there's reasons why I would try and avoid this, because it just feels awkward. If I, if I call Peter, you know, the apostle Peter, if I call him an apostle, I feel fine. But if I call Jim down the street an apostle, I feel awkward. Why is that? Apostle Jim, you call me Apostle Jim. It's like, well, you know, I, I'd like to. It sounds really noble, but I, I, something's weird about that. I don't know if it's weird to you either, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just uh, strange. An apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos. It means a delegate, a messenger, one sent forth with orders, a sent one. Well, I don't see why Jim down the street can't be one that is 
a delegate, a messenger, one sent forth with orders and a sent one. That sounds totally normal to me. How come it feels weird then? To the angel of the church of Ephesus writes, and this is in the book of Revelation, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, Jesus talking, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Now listen to this line. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So one thing we know is that there seems to be those that masquerade as apostles that aren't. So, little fact point there. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Yeah, you'll notice it doesn't mention apostles, it mentions prophets. However, apostles and prophets seem to be grouped together. And there's multiple lists that we can go to, we will, that seem to group those together. However, what we know is there seems to be a false version of something. Of those that would represent a certain behavior in the kingdom of heaven and do it in a false fashion. Just important to note. Introducing the fivefold ministry reasoning. So one of the things that we have a hankering in the body of Christ today, as many of you in this room have, to see what many people would say, the early church return. The strength and the power of the initial movement of grace when the Holy Spirit first breathed in, shook the room. Remember at Pentecost, we want it back. Now some of us, we get inside the skin of Eric Ludi, we want it back and we want it back full force. We just want all the weirdness over the past 2,000 years that has sort of marred it to get out of the way. Because there's a lot of counterfeit junk that has gotten woven in and I'm not too excited about inheriting that into this next generation. At the same time, I want it. Well, there's a whole bunch of people around the world that are sick and tired of a stale, dusty, dry religion. They're tired of sitting in a pew and hearing truth spoken, and then everyone stays the exact same way the rest of the week. No one ever changes. We talk about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, but it's not found in the church. We talk about victory over sin, but that's laugh-out-loud ridiculous. We want it back. Just think about what's going on inside of you. Is it real or is it not? If it's real, I'll give up my life to get it. If it's not, break it to me now, please. I don't want to seek something that's not there. Well, I'll tell you right now, it's real. That's what we do here. We train people in the reality of the life of strength. However, there's a whole bunch out there in this world right now that are after the same thing but are going at it or rather strange way and that's what I want to put my finger on because as a result there seems to be a vulnerability that we set ourselves up for when we begin to hunger for these things and when we hunger for something that's good the enemy oftentimes will slip something in just ahead of you hearing the truth and you'll be like yeah that's what it is that's what it is and he can get us off and that's where I want to to walk through this today introducing the five-fold ministry reasoning So many in the church are coming to Ephesians 4, and for good reason, it's a part of the Bible. And there's nothing wrong with this. This is God's word. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Jesus has given gifts to men. What are these gifts? And he himself gave some to be apostles, There it is. 
some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and for the, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Now, we all just read the same thing. However, many of us just choose because of some of the things we've been exposed to to just keep reading. In other words, that was good, that was nice. We're just sort of hoping that's past tense, okay? Because if we are actually going to say that those gifts are still active, we have issues because now we have apostles and prophets, I mean, some of the other ones, like teachers, pastors, evangelists, you know, we can deal with those. They seem rather stable. The other ones are a little weird. You follow me? And so as a result, how do we handle these things? The awkward introduction of modern apostles to the mix. There is a movement today that I would say most of us in this room may not understand the size of it. Depends on your background. You could be right smack in the middle of it. You could be one of the chief leaders of it. I don't know who all is in this room right now. However, the amount of impact that the NAR movement, oftentimes called NAR, very unattractive word, but NAR, uh, is, is having on the Christian world of our day is so sizable. Upwards of 66 million Christians in the world today are under the influence of a certain form of teaching that is very different than what I'm going to teach you today. And you can weigh right now, because this isn't a message just on the NAR movement. This is a message on what I would call what the Word of God teaches. And as a result, I'm not going to try and get distracted with making assessments on it as much as I want to steer us as a church to be watchful and to be understanding on these issues so that we can be sharp and we can understand what the Bible teaches. So... What we have is we have an introduction of apostles. And you'll notice, uh, all, oh, if, if you start noticing it now, have you ever had it where someone introduces a car to you and they show you a certain, like, oh, I love that car. I've never even seen one of those before. And then the next week, you see about 50 of them driving down the road. Sometimes it's right there under our nose, but we don't see it because we've just never thought about it. Well, now suddenly you'll start seeing it. Uh, everyone's known as an apostle these days. We have prophets and, and apostles all over the place. Now, here's what's awkward about it. These men or women are apostles and prophets, and they would even tell you, like the original prophets and apostles, and that they are receiving things from God, and whether or not every one of them would say, oh, this is on par with Scripture, many of them are treating it that way. In other words, if this really is divine revelation, then why would it be any different than what the Scriptures say here? So as a result, we suddenly have an infiltration of actual words of God that are being printed and passed along digitally and in printed form all over the world. 66 million Christians are under the influence of this right now. And I just want you to know up front where I stand on this, I don't believe that modern apostles and prophets that can actually carry forth and bring new scripture to bear upon the church exist. And as a result, I'm going to walk us through what could be a little 
challenging, but I want to lay out a foundational understanding. An apostle. It's a fairly illustrious title, you have to admit. I mean, to call yourself, if I was Apostle Eric Ludi, I mean, that would be pretty impressive, don't you think? Uh, I mean, I could, you know, some of you that don't have a high opinion of me might suddenly have a high opinion of me if, if I was an apostle. It's like, well, he's an apostle. I mean, if he's a pastor, pfft, but he's an apostle. Throughout the past 2,000 years, even the greatest, most amazing Christian leaders have not assumed the title apostle. Athanasius did not presume such a title. Peter Waldo, Martin Luther, John Wesley, and George Whitfield did not assume the title apostle. Charles Spurgeon, Hudson Taylor, William Booth, and C.T. Studd. All men that changed the face of Christianity and modern missions in their day all did not presume themselves apostles. Even Billy Graham, the modern equivalent of Wesley and Whitfield, shied away from such a grand title of apostle and instead bore the title reverend. So why the confusion? Listen closely to this. Because there are apostles, you know, it's a capital A on that, and there are apostles. You know, so I didn't put a capital A on the second one. And there is a difference between the two. The anatomy of a capital A apostle. I'm going to teach you something throughout the history of Scripture that will help us understand what is taking place in the New Testament. We have a continuity of ideas. The Old Testament is actually the test for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In other words, a lot of us chop the Bible in half and we carry around a New Testament, but we don't recognize that the New Testament has its validity because it perfectly fulfilled the Old. In other words, the Old is needed to recognize that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And so, what we have is this idea of something being passed along by a first so Moses received a pattern to pass. I'll just give you some, uh, some background on this. Moses goes up into a mountain for 40 days. You guys remember that whole story? It seems that in this mountain, he sees something. He is shown something. He is shown a pattern, is what it's called. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so you shall make it. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. So God is giving a direct command to Moses to build something in accordance with something that was shown him. Moses didn't come up with the idea for the tabernacle, the design for it, the architectural structure, the pattern for the instruments himself. He was shown it. And so in this mountain, he was given something and he saw it and then he passed it along. And thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof, which was showed thee in the mount. Hollow with boards shalt thou make it, as it was showed thee in the mount, so shall they make it. And this work of the candlestick was of beaten gold upon the shaft thereof, unto the flowers thereof was beaten work, according unto the pattern which the Lord had showed Moses, so he made the candlesticks. So what we have is this idea. Now most of us just skip over this and we don't follow this. However, Moses was shown something. We weren't there. All we know is a cloud of glory and anyone else that would approach the mountain would be killed. Moses, for whatever reason, in this mountain saw something. That's important. He saw what's called a pattern. And that pattern was for a house. A house for who? A house for God. Okay, so Moses sees something and then he passes it along. He's actually the inaugural movement of all scripture. Is written, the first five books are Moses. In fact, that's what the, the Jews would even call it. Moses, the first five books. 
Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. So that's in Acts. We actually see it referencing back to the fact that Moses saw something. Who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. So that's the first one. Moses receives a pattern for something we would call the tabernacle. The tabernacle is literally where God lived amongst his people. So he was in this tabernacle, which would fold up and they'd carry it along with them and then set it up again, and God was in it. It was a transitory building, but it was still a God house. Does that make sense? So now I'm going to build on the fact that David received a pattern to pass. Remember what pattern he was passing along? It was called the temple of God, a God house. David sees something and then passes it along. Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern of the porch and of the houses thereof and of the treasuries thereof and of the upper chambers thereof and of the inner parlors thereof and of the place of the mercy seat and the pattern of all that he had by the spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord. And all, all the chambers round about of the treasuries of the house of God and of the treasuries of the dedicated things, all this said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me even all the works of this pattern. So David seems to have a pattern, a pattern for the temple. And David is passing it along to Solomon so that Solomon can build it. The prophets received a pattern to pass. Then Micaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by and on his right hand and on his left. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Amos, I saw the Lord standing by the altar. What are these people seeing? You know that Moses and David and these prophets are all seeing something that's actually the same thing? They're seeing a God house. They're seeing one in whom the Spirit of God is. They're seeing something that we understand in the Old Testament as the Messiah. Ezekiel received a pattern to pass. Now, this is quite, now he's one of the prophets, but I stopped and paused on this one just so you can see it. Thou son of man, show the house. Ezekiel, I mean, three chapters in the book of Ezekiel, rather weighty ones, not the most interesting ones to read, is they go through and they measure out every room in this thing. This is a building that has never actually been built in a physical sense on this earth. It's the perfect temple. Well, it has been built, but we didn't actually see it that way. It's the perfect temple. It's the Messiah. And so what we have is, thou son of man, show the house to the house of Israel. Okay, I've given you a pattern, Ezekiel. You've seen the house. Now pass it along. That they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern. So we're going to call these pattern passers. You'll notice that the message was titled Pattern Passers. That's because I'm building an understanding of how we pass along a pattern for a house and how we preserve that pattern so that it doesn't get marred. So a pattern passer is one who sees the pattern of the house and then is responsible to pass along that pattern so that it might be built. What did they see? So all of these, Moses, David, the prophets, what did they see? They saw a God house, a place in which the Spirit of God lives. Do you know who they were seeing? It's not just a house, it's a person. 
So here's, since Hudson really enjoys my, uh, my, my lessons with uh, pictures, we have a house. Now, what's amazing about the Holy of Holies, it's actually a square, the place in which the Spirit of God lives. And so I made a square house, and I put a roof on it just because a square wouldn't make a lot of sense. I mean, we, didn't, we Americans think house with roof. So the tabernacle, the temple, the house of Israel, this is where God will reside. He will live amongst them. And then we have very specifically, as David becomes king, even the house of Judah. And onward, Jesus is a Jew. He's from the house of Judah. We're going to call this the pattern. There's a pattern for a house. There's a pattern after which this God house will be built. Jesus declared, brace yourselves for this one, that he is that God house. In other words, all of this, we have this house, this tabernacle, this temple, and then Jesus makes it very clear, hey guys, that was all speaking of me. The whole thing. I am that house. I am that temple. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. The apostle John, if you remember in John chapter 1, the apostle John declared that Jesus was and is the pattern of the God house made flesh. In other words, there's a God house is revealed in the Old Testament that Jesus is that God house on two feet, two arms, that he is the animation the actionable version of that which was revealed in Scripture. You take all that Scripture and put it into a man, and you have Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Moses, David, the prophets, what did they see? They saw Jesus. Now, if you've spent any time at Ellerslie, we spend a lot of time on teaching something called Christophany. In other words, that all of Scripture speaks of one, Jesus. Everything, all the stories. I mean, it's just amazing, but the whole thing centers around him. So does this house. This house is Jesus. This house is the essence of who he is. It also is meant to enunciate what he has done. So I put Jesus at the top of the house just so you can see it. Now, this, this house, this pattern, is not just for a house. It's for a government. It's for the way that something ought to operate. We could also call that just the Bible right there. The whole thing is, I mean, what did these men do? Moses saw and wrote. God says, write what I just told you down in a book. In other words, they're writing it. They're they're taking from what they saw and they're putting it down. They're building it. The New Testament pattern passers, they are known as apostles. You see, there aren't a lot of Moseses. There aren't a lot of Davids. There are not a lot of apostles with a capital A. This is a very, very specific group that we need to recognize. So the New Testament pattern passers, who are the ones that saw the pattern? Who are the ones that were brought up into the mountain and beheld his glory. Who are these ones? The apostle Peter says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Who saw his majesty? The apostle Peter was one of them. 
The Apostle John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. In other words, they encountered something at a different level than any of us in this room encounter it. They were personal eyewitnesses of this life. The Apostle Paul, then last of all, he was seen by me also. It's an interesting statement to say Paul saw Jesus. But that's what he says. He says, then last of all, he was seen by me also, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. They saw the pattern for the perfect house. So who witnessed the pattern for the perfect house, the God house? It was these guys. These are the guys that witnessed it firsthand and then were sent forth to pass along the pattern and to build it up. They saw a house known as Jesus Christ. They saw the perfection of that house and then they were sent by that very house to go and build that house. That's what they were done. They, were, they, were, they saw it, they had the architectural designs and then they were commissioned to go and build it. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So the church of Jesus Christ is built upon a foundation. In other words, when you're building on a foundation, that means the foundation is there. You're not building a foundation as you're going. The foundation is there. And that foundation is the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. I'll reflect on this more as we progress, but what we see is this picture of this house is going to be termed in the New Testament as the bride of Christ or the church. And this becomes very, very important to all of us that believe. So what we see is this house, which is the pattern is the tabernacle, the temple, the house of Israel, the house of Judah. In the New Testament, we begin to realize that it's those that believe in Jesus. Not all are Israel. It's those that believe that are in Christ that actually turn and see this pattern and trust it, that believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of this house. They actually become the very house. They become the church of Jesus Christ. They are the ones now that are the bearers of a pattern. What exactly makes a capital A apostle a capital A apostle? So let's go into that. A capital A apostle is an eyewitness to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Men who saw the perfect house, men personally sent out by Jesus Christ to be the pattern passers. Remember the word apostolos actually means sent out with orders. That's the entire concept. So these capital A apostles were ones that, that dealt personally with this one known as Jesus Christ. They beheld this work. They saw that house personally and then were commissioned by Jesus himself to go, to actually build this. They saw and then built what they saw. These pattern pastors were simply known as apostles of Jesus Christ, and we're going to put a capital A on that. Paul called to be an apostle, it says in Romans 8.1, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. You see, this is how he starts out all of his, his, uh, his books. 
Why would he do that? Well, because the authority of an apostle is to pass along a pattern. So as a result, you're going to notice throughout the New Testament that the writers of the New Testament are establishing something. They're establishing their authority to communicate. Because the communication, the authority to communicate Scripture, the Word of God, is a very, very hefty one, not to be taken lightly. So Paul, at the very beginning of Romans, says that he's called to be an apostle. And then you'll see down to the bottom here, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God in Ephesians. Colossians, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. 1 Timothy, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Titus, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What does Peter say? Peter says at the beginning of 1 Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then in 2 Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So what you're going to, I'm going to have our little green building over here, which is a living temple. It's interesting because have you ever heard of the Feast of Tabernacles? The Feast of Tabernacles basically means the, the feast where we celebrate houses, dwellings. And everyone in Israel was supposed to bring what's called a lulab, which is freshly cut branches off of a tree, branch from a tree. And they bring these and they live inside of them as little dwellings during the feast. Well, that's odd. Little green leafy buildings. In other words, this picture of what Jesus Christ is doing is he is a living building. It is a growing building that we are supposed to enter into, and that is the great celebration of Christianity. So I have a big capital A on the apostles out here. The apostles are different than what we're about to describe that is going to be commissioned inside that house. But these are those that saw, that built, and they passed. And what did they pass along? The pattern. They're the ones that were entrusted with the pattern for what we can call the New Testament church. And as a result, they wrote it. They communicated it, and it's known as the Bible or the New Testament in the Bible. And so in, the, in there is the pattern. What's the pattern for? It's for the body of Christ, and it's for the church of Jesus Christ. Where do we get our marching orders of how to live here, to discipline here, to love here? What's our order functioned by? Do we make it up as we go? Like Eric says, you know, I have a good idea. Let's do it this way. Or do we all submit to something? I'm going to tell you, we submit to the pattern that's already been given to us. We don't invent a pattern. We submit to a pattern that has already been passed. And that was passed by Jesus Christ to the apostles to bring it to us. So who were these pattern passers? In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For I delivered to you, this is Paul speaking, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. So Paul is delivering something that he received. Moses is building according to something that he saw. Paul received something and then delivered it. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen by Peter. Listen to how Paul articulates this. It's fascinating. He was seen by Peter. This is the order in which, in a sense, how it all occurred, the, the, the sightings. He was seen by Peter, then by the 12. And that doesn't mean Peter wasn't one of the 12. It just means seems to be a chronological events here. First, Peter saw him. Then, all 12 saw him. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Then, last of all, he was seen by me. 
whatever happened to James in there? Somehow we, we, we lost some. Did I skip something? No? Uh, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of time, out of due time, for I am least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there something missing here? Okay. It says that he was seen by James and then by the rest of the apostles. And then least of all, he was, or last of all, he was seen by me. It was what Paul says. So there's different ways of looking at that. Sorry, it's not up on the screen. But it seems to be the events in which Jesus was seen. And, or you could interpret it as the, the, and then the rest of the apostles, which means there could have been more apostles. And there's all sorts of debate about that. Obviously, Paul being one of them. He wasn't one of the 12, but he was an apostle. And so the rest of the apostles, some people have said, well, that's Barnabas and Silas, maybe even Timothy. However, those are debate points. What we do know is that there seems to be a lineage of apostleship, and it's clear here. In other words, and last of all, by me. It doesn't say, oh, and then, you know, furthering, you know, from here, we're going to have a whole bunch more that we'll see. In other words, these are those that witnessed. Paul even feels like he's, like, born out of wedlock here. It's like, what, guys, I feel terrible here. I mean, I persecuted the church, and yet somehow God has considered me to be an apostle. I saw it too. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So one of the things that historically through the church has always been understood is that these are apostles, capital A. They are a very unique group that were entrusted a pattern to pass. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I think it's God's going out of his way to make it clear that that foundation is not still being laid, but that this was laid way back in the first church. In other words, what we have is a foundation upon apostles. They're the ones that laid out a pattern. These capital A apostles seem to be God's chosen vehicles to governmentally establish the form and function of the church and to establish the canon test for the church moving forward in order that it might test every spirit and approve that which is right and correct and recognize apostles that are false. In other words, how do you recognize something is false unless you have a pattern for recognizing what is true? So as a result, we have to have a first. Someone has to pass on the pattern. Without the pattern, we cannot test anything against it. So as a result, these first capital A apostles seem to be the ones that are governmentally over this initial house. And yet, as, as you'll see, something is going to begin to change as we progress because now we have the pattern. They set up the pattern by which all other building might be measured from there on out. So let's talk about small a apostles. To explain a small a apostle, it is first necessary to further show how the capital A apostles functioned as pattern passers. So right as I get your hopes up to start talking about small a, then I have to talk more about the capital A. So let's go through a couple facts. Fact one, in the first century, the capital A apostles were in charge of the churches. Now, one thing we know, like in the Council of Jerusalem, is you have apostles and elders. But it's very clear all throughout this is that Peter, 
Paul, the apostles, seem to be over, even governmentally speaking. It might not sound like a very important thing to you, but it is. Because when the modern-day version of apostles says, oh, we're just like them, they would say that they are supposed to be over us. And we have had things, even in this body, of people coming to this church desiring us to come under their apostleship. Okay? So in other words, this isn't foreign to us as a church leadership. This is actually something we have encountered and we are seeing in the world today. In other words, these apostles actually believe that we should submit to them, that they are the ones that are fit to lead the church of Jesus Christ. That's an interesting point. It's like, whoa, are they? Should I submit to them? I don't want to be against what God's doing. Should I submit to these apostles? I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about you. Should I submit to him because he says he's an apostle? Think about it, guys. This is an interesting quagmire here. It was initially the word of the apostles and the word of prophecy as revealed to and or approved by the apostles of Jesus Christ that governed the early church, built the early church, protected them from error, and steered them toward the glory of Jesus Christ. In other words, what we have is a pattern that is being built by the word of the apostles and the word of prophecy, which is known as scripture. It's the statement and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And where did it come from? It came from the apostles or was approved by the apostles. In other words, that this is, in fact, the word of God. Fact number two, the capital A apostles supplied us the approved scriptures. So what we have is the word of scripture seemed to come through the apostles or be approved by the apostles, and then they seem to enunciate that this is, in fact, the word of God for us. So in other words, this is the house, guys. Here's the architectural design. Now moving forward, this is what we build around. The capital A apostles were inspired by the Spirit of God to write and or approve the inspired writing of the New Testament scriptures, which outlined and clearly established the method for governing the church of Jesus Christ moving forward into the forthcoming generations. They gave us the canon test. The canon test is what the Old Testament says Jesus must be. He must be born of a virgin, In the town of Bethlehem, he must be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. It's actually very specific. The Old Testament says it exactly the way it must be. A thousand years before Jesus came, it says his hands and his feet would be pierced. 750 years before he came, it literally describes in vivid detail in Isaiah 53, the cross of Jesus Christ. Whoa! And Jesus must match it. This house must be built to look like that. And so when Jesus strides on the scene of time, a leafy lulab, a green house, he matches. He matches. That's what he says. Just test me against it, guys. It's called the canon test. How will you know he's the Messiah? Because he'll match. How will you recognize the church? Because they will match that which has been stated beforehand. Something has been stated beforehand. It's called the scriptures, the New Testament. This is what my house will look like. This is how it must be built. If it is going to please me, if it's going to reveal me, if it's going to have the green leaves on it, it must be born of this. My Holy Spirit will never defy the word of God. So if the scriptures have stated it, then the church will be tested against it. Every single one of our lives must be measured against something. What is that something? Is it our opinion, our feelings? It's against the word of God. They gave us the canon test. They showed us how the house of God, the church, ought to be built. 
They saw the pattern and then passed it along to us. They saw, they built, they passed. That's how it worked. That's the capital A apostles. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. Hold fast the pattern. Who, where, where do you get a pattern from? Where, where, does he have a pattern? He has a pattern. Where did he get that pattern from? Be, hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me. The apostle, capital A apostle, says hold that fast. Soundness of words, hold that fast, Timothy. You're the next generation. We need to keep this thing intact in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now look at 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. Who, uh, my old translation of it. Who will be able to teach others also. In other words, there's a pattern that is past. You've seen it, Timothy, in my life. You've heard me speak it. I've given you the pattern for how the church of Jesus Christ ought to be built. Hold fast to it. Hold it strongly. And then commit it. Pass it along to reliable men so that they may also be able to pass it along. We must maintain a heritage of excellence. This pattern has been given. Let's keep it. So what did the capital A apostles say about there being more apostles? Don't you just wish they would be quiet on that fact? It's just like, oh, we're the end. This is it. That's all there is. Instead, they start yammering. They seem to indicate, get get this, brace yourselves, put a seatbelt on if you need. They seem to indicate that there will indeed be those who are apostles in the church even after the capital A apostles finish passing along the pattern. Oh, ah, that's uncomfortable, at least for some of us. Some of you are like, yes. <laughs> and, he gave him, and he himself gave some to be apostles. Now you could say, but that ceased. Well, let's keep reading. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I just can't in good integrity say we've arrived there yet. In other words, that is a fact. And he himself gave some to be apostles. It says it right there. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. And after that, miracles and gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Right here, we're about to transition into 1 Corinthians 13, which is love, the more excellent way. It's the life you live. It's not just these gifts that you tote around. But that said, this still can't be diminished. This is still what God has appointed in the church. Now, it's important to see in the church, in that house that has already been defined, there is something appointed, and that is first apostles. And so even the order is important because at the very end it says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. What does that mean? Well, at the very top of the list are some awkward ones. Apostles and prophets. Well, those those are the best. Ah, So what about a small-a apostle? 
The capital A apostles do, in fact, talk about more apostles in the church outside of themselves. And it appears that these apostles are needed, listen to this, are needed in the church for it to succeed and are uniquely gifted and equipped for their work by God himself. However, these apostles are not like the capital A apostles with authority over the global church and with unique position to lay out the original form and function of the church. They are not eyewitnesses of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and current glorified condition. They were not present with Jesus in the first century when he was here on earth in bodily form to give the capital A apostles their sending commission straight from him personally. And they are not recipients of the words of new scripture and authoritative canon text. These apostles that the capital A apostles seem to be referring to are small A apostles. They are apostles gifted by the Holy Spirit to build up the church. According to what? The pattern already given. To receive the pattern from the pattern passers and effectively implement it. They are sent ones that go into all the world to preach the gospel and establish churches in perfect agreement with the pattern that was passed. But they are sent ones that are sent by the church, not directly by Jesus Christ. It does not mean if you are sent by the church, you're not sent by Jesus Christ, but that's how he sends. He sends via his church. In other words, it's not just random. I'm an apostle. I'm a sent one. Actually, God has a flow of authority that actually matters. These apostles in question are not, ca- not the capital A apostles of Jesus Christ. They are not pattern passers. Listen to this distinction. But pattern implementers. And we desperately need this kind of small A apostles in our modern day. Did you hear that? You can quote me. Stick that on your refrigerator, Eric Ludy. And we desperately need this kind of small A apostles in our modern day. Without it, we can't build the church strong according to the pattern. But these are not pattern makers, pattern inventors. These are ones that revere the pattern that was passed and know how to implement it well. They are often referred to in the modern church vernacular as missionaries and church planters. They are indeed men functioning as apostles, but not with capital A authority to write scripture and to be a pattern passer, but they are apostles with small a gifting, commissioned to effectively spread the world over the pattern that was passed as revealed in in scripture for building the church. This sort of small a apostles are not super governors of the church at large as were Paul and Peter in the first century, but are now men and women submitted to local church authority who receive their ordination from the local church through the laying on of hands. So what we have is the same picture we had before. The apostles, they saw, they built, they passed. What did they pass along? The Bible. They passed along a pattern for the body of Christ and for the church of Jesus Christ. Now, how are we going to hold that in place for the years to come? See, I made it real small in there so you could see it. There's a small a apostle in there. You see, that's internally in the church to build up that which has already been delivered to us. They're not defining a new wing on the house. They're actually helping build that which God has already established. A look at the pattern passed by the capital A apostles for healthy church governance. So now we have a pattern for how the church is supposed to be groomed and built. So if it is true that apostles are still supposed to be over the church, don't you think God would teach that? I mean, just to me, as far as I'm concerned, that needs to be clear. Because if someone is going to come to me, an apostle is going to come to me and say, look, uh, the way that God intended is for you to be submitted to an apostle, and here I am. 
And I have no idea who this guy is. And I'm going to submit all of you. And my job is to protect. I'm like a shepherd here. If I see something coming in, I'm going, oh, hey, put my German shepherd sniff on. Yeah, you know, it's like, hey, what's going on there? What are you up to? What are you trying to bring into this church? So should I submit us all to someone I don't know? That seems a little odd. So what does the Bible say about this? It actually gives governmental positions of leadership and not one time is apostleship given as a governmental position for the ongoing church. So episkopos, typically known as bishops or overseers, and we'll oftentimes call them pastors. And then you have presbyteros, elders, and then diakonos, deacons and servants. These are actual offices in a functional church government. Never once were prophets and apostles given that position in an ongoing way in any description, even by Paul, who was an apostle. Strangely, appointing apostles and prophets for the purpose of church government is never mentioned in the pattern that was passed to us in the New Testament. So what you can't really see it very well. At least maybe you can see it over on this brighter screen. But, so what I say is they saw, they built, and they passed. And what did they pass along? They passed along a governmental pattern. This is how you will run the church. So you, if someone is going to be a bishop and an overseer of this house, they need to prove certain things. And Paul gave a test of how they should be, what their lives should be like, very specific. Paul was not accidental in passing along the pattern of what it should look like. So that included the bishops, overseers, elders, deacons, and servants. And those would be called governmental offices. But then we also have gifts that are given to the body to edify the body, to grow this house strong. Apostles and prophets are two of those. In other words, I'm not going to diminish the fact that the Holy Spirit cannot work in and through these gifts. However, they're not governing gifts. They're edifying gifts within the body of Christ. In other words, I have a hunch in this very body there are those that have a gift of what we could call an apostle. But I don't know that you want to walk around and just call yourself by that. Any more than the servant in here goes, my name is Servant Eric. It just sounds awkward. In other words, these are functions of how we live and how we work within the body, but it doesn't necessarily need to be a title next to our name. So how does this affect us today? We need to realize we are not in the capital A or capital P, meaning prophecy, period of the church, but are in the period of building up the church according to the pattern as shown us in the scriptures. We are no less empowered to do our work than were the capital A apostles. So for those of you from the Pentecostal leanings, I want you to know, as a church, we desire the Holy Spirit to breathe through us in whatever way he would desire. And with whatever giftings he would equip this body, we want to know how to facilitate that. However, it is within a house under clear authority. It is not something that is outside the house coming in and telling us how we are supposed to run the house. We are told that in the scripture. Submitted to the Holy Spirit, we are given a grace to govern what we have been entrusted, just like you as a parent. You are given that, you are given a pattern from the scripture, and it's very inappropriate if Donald Trump came in and told you how to discipline your children. It's actually not his jurisdiction. It's not his territory of governance. And so as a result, we need to understand how this house works, and Paul has laid it out for us. We are no less empowered to do our work than we're the capital A apostles. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. 
We are not less empowered. However, we already have a pattern. So we're not going to be empowered to find a new pattern. That's already been given us. That isn't our role is to make up new patterns. It's to be able to function in the pattern that we've been given. But we are constrained to build according to an existing pattern. It's called the scriptures. For the Holy Spirit will never build anything contrary to the scriptures. The days of the pattern passers has ceased. The day of the pattern defenders, pattern implementers, and pattern champions is in full stride. And we need small a apostles in order to properly defend, implement, and champion this beautiful and almighty pattern. Ellerslie Mission Society. Look at the middle word in there. This is what we're called. I run Ellerslie Mission Society. Ellerslie Apostolos Society. You want to make me uncomfortable? You can call it that. And yet that's basically what it is. It's sent ones. It's ones that are trained in the pattern to do what? Go and communicate the pattern. We build, for lack of a better term today, apostles. Ah, little did I know what I was up to. And yet, that's the concept. We seek the best gifts. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the churches. First, ah, apostles, but earnestly desire the best gifts. I desire, though the word has been tainted, the idea itself should not be the function of this attribute in your life to say, I need to know the pattern. I want to be an expert on the architectural design of what God intends for his church. I want to be great at implementing that. Well, boy, do we need that today. Because without that, here's what's ironic. We have more apostles today, I'm going to put a quotation around that, than we've ever had. And yet we have fewer people in the body of Christ that know the pattern that we're supposed to be building and upholding. We need to be pattern implementers, pattern defenders, pattern lovers so that we can live accurately, portraying this house and showcasing Jesus Christ in and through our lives. We are seeking the best gifts here in Windsor, Colorado, so we are desiring to be sent ones. We desire to be equipped and to equip all of you as sent ones that go into all the world and preach the gospel. But to be ready for such a grand title as a sent one, we must first be one considered ready to be sent. You see, even in church government, to find a position in church, in a church leadership, you have to be proven. You don't just get the position because you have a big charismatic personality or you have a college degree or a whole bunch of them. Actually, that means nothing in scripture. Isn't that a fascinating thought? There is nothing in scripture about having some doctorate in theology that makes you fit for leading the church. Nothing. Doesn't say anything about that. However, if you're going to have a doctorate, get a doctorate in the pattern. His name is Jesus Christ. In other words, you know Jesus Christ. You resemble Jesus Christ. You bear the fruit of Jesus Christ in your marriage, in your home. When people look at you, they see a living house that is full of the Holy Spirit. You see, this is one that is fit and ready to go into all the world and preach the pattern. So who decides when one is ready? How are we going to figure this out? Well, the good thing is, the pattern has been passed along to us, so we know when someone is ready to lead the church. There is a pattern for testing and approving bishops, elders, and deacons. Just look at 1 Timothy 3. In other words, it goes into uncomfortable clarity of what is necessary and required in our lives 
to be put in a position of building up this house and establishing the pattern. If the man is going to build the house of God, then he first must know how to rule his own house. The way I always say it, if someone is going to come to me and say, Eric, do you think I'm ready for marriage? I'm going to say, first we examine your life. How are you handling your own house, the human body? How are you handling your thought life? How are you handling your emotions? How are you handling your sexuality and your appetite and your sleep? Because if you can't rule well there, you're not fit to rule at another level. And so Paul actually points to the first house. He says, hey, guys, if a guy can't run his marriage and his family well, don't stick him in charge of the church. You see, we've, we've proved first on our first houses. That's why I can't have someone just come up to me and say, submit to me, Eric, because I think I'm supposed to be over you. Who are you? I haven't seen any proof that your life is matching up with what the scriptures say. What, what exactly is this? This isn't how it's built. That's upside down. It's like sticking the, the foundation, all the concrete on the roof. It doesn't work that way. God's already laid a foundation. Let's build upon it. There is a palpable distortion in our modern day regarding the sent ones. We have something that is a little off. And there's some in here that would say it's not just a little. This is possibly one of the most dangerous heresies to enter into the church in the last 100 years. That isn't a direct quote, but it's fairly close to a quote from one of our pastoral team. <laughs> However, with some of the things, because some of those that are in this movement, we'll call it, would agree with what I'm articulating here. But they don't recognize that many of the leaders in this do not agree. And that's where the danger is. There are many in the church that are desiring to bring back the fullness of the church operation. I am right there with you. I want to see the strength of heaven brought to this earth. However, God can only bless the pattern that he has given. If we try and go outside of that, we cannot expect the Holy Spirit to bless it. Simply put, therefore, some of these things that are being given, there's certain men that are actually talking in such a way where their words are higher than Scripture that God is giving new scripture and it actually is greater than the existing scripture. So now it's not just that it's equal, but it's greater. We have a slippery slope here and it is a diminishment of the word of God in text. What happens as a result? A diminishment of the word of God in person. What happens as a result? We diminish the cross. Not on my watch. In other words, this is the generation we've been assigned. We are the watchmen in this generation for this pattern. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. Hold fast what we have witnessed in the words of Scripture, what we have seen. Hold tightly to it. Many of us in here know the power of those Scriptures. We've seen the truth set us free. And as a result, we know they're not just some dead-weighted text, but they are living and active and able to change the world in which we live, not just our lives, but the world around us. We need to protect the integrity of what is taking place in our world today in, 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 in regards to the sharing of truth. So we have a palpable problem, but the best way to protect the pattern passed along to us is to follow it ourselves. I know, there can be a moment of revolts inside of you say we must do something well here's the first thing we can do 
Let's heed that pattern ourselves. Because the pattern has been speaking to many of us in here and saying that one of our walls is a little out of whack and it's not square and it's not plumb. Are you willing to start heeding that instead of just getting mad at someone else that doesn't have a wall over there? Let's allow God to correct us according to the pattern. We need to esteem the pattern passed to us, protect the pattern passed to us, employ the pattern passed to us, be corrected by the pattern passed to us, be built after the pattern passed to us, and pass along the pattern passed to us. So in a sense, we are pattern passers, but not in the capital P sense. We pass along a pattern, but we're not the ones first coming up with the pattern. We're not the ones that have handled and seen Jesus, but we have in and through what has been passed to us. The Holy Spirit has used the scriptures to enunciate to us the realities of who Jesus Christ is. And as far as I'm concerned, don't you sometimes feel like you did witness it personally? In other words, that's how powerful these words are that have been passed to us. They have enunciated to us the realities of a a Messiah who perfectly fulfilled the text of scripture. Every test, and that when he died on that Passover day 2,000 years ago, he did the work of redemption on our behalf, and the perfect atonement was set and established. And when he was buried, he shared that victory with us, and we share in his cross and his burial, and he took our old man and dealt a defeat to it. And when he rose again and that stone was rolled away, in a strange sense, we share in it. And so though it's 2,000 years back, and we didn't personally see it with these eyes, in a strange way, we do feel like eyewitnesses. I'm an eyewitness of his majesty, but not in the capital E sense, but I still am. I have seen something. How did I see it? In the scriptures. The Holy Spirit has breathed into it, and I have gone back, and I have seen something, and it has changed me. Do you not know that you and I as believers are that God house? Doesn't that sound like a a statement Paul would make? You are the temple of the living God. You are intended to be that house. Jesus is the fulfillment of it. He is the perfect God house. And when we believe in him, we step into that house. We step into the body of Christ. We are believers and therefore we are now grafted into that living house, that vine. No, we are not God. Just to clarify, I don't want you to trip over that. Though we are a God house filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not God. Jesus was, we're not. But we are the dwelling place of God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And just as Jesus was the word of God in personable, actionable form, so he has given us his Holy Spirit that we might be the very personable expression of Jesus Christ to this world, the house of God in loving action. Paul says, you are our epistle written in our hearts. He literally uses a term to describe the very letters of Scripture. When they wrote epistles, they wrote letters. And he says, you are a letter that has been written. To be read by all men, clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. We are intended to be that very text revealed. That when people see us, what do they see? They see Jesus. The same thing that Moses saw. 
The same thing that David passed along. The same thing the prophets saw. We're not God, but we reveal him just as a glove isn't the hand, but it reveals the movements of the hand. We are God's chosen vehicle of revelation. And when we yield to him and when we believe in him, he chooses to use us to reveal that which is invisible. So there's our house again, which is Jesus. And you know that you're built in there? If you look closely, you'll see yourself. I have apostles with a capital A and with a small a. You know, they're, we're all part of the same body. Yeah. Even though they're capital doesn't mean they're, they're not still a part of the house. You see, Paul, Peter, we're, we're with them in this house. And then it's you and me. We're in there. Hey. You see, when we believe in Jesus, we share in the same house. We're the body of Christ, the house of God. All who believe. So, what you see is the Holy Spirit fills a house like a hand does a glove. And that glove in and of itself can do nothing apart from that hand. But then when it yields, that hand is now able to express. You see all those arrows coming out? That's the pattern. That's the life of Jesus. This is what the apostles set forth. They gave us a pattern for how this is to work. And there's only one way to get that glory into this world. One way. And we mustn't lose it. We must hold fast those soundness of words. That pattern that has been given us so that the world may see Jesus. When we lose the pattern, we lose the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you had a map to buried treasure and it had an X that marked the spot, it'd be very important that you kept all the pieces to that map. Because there may be a map, a part of the map that you don't like. And it goes through a deep ditch and, you know, you have to get all muddy there. And then you have to, you know, ford this, you know, difficult raging river. And you'd rather cut that out and go a little shortcut. If you do that, you will not find the treasure. You may not like the sharp lines to the map, so you dip it in water and try and dilute it. However, if you lose the clarity of that map, you lose the treasure. The text of scripture is a map. It's not the treasure but it leads us to the treasure. It's the one and only thing that does, which is why Christians throughout the ages have given up their lives to protect the integrity of that pattern. We want to measure what is taking place in the church today, starting in our lives and in this church, according to a pattern that has already been handed to us. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.